presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. Today, we're changing things up a bit. My name's Kristen Strom, and I serve as the president and CEO of CSI. On this episode, I get the pleasure of filling in for Earl Wright, our usual host, who actually will be in the hot seat today, and I'll get to ask him some questions. A quick framing of today's conversation concerning the immediate and long-term outlook for Colorado's Public Employees Retirement Association, or as a lot of us know it as PARA. The Federal American Recovery Plan Act is estimated to deliver an additional $3.9 billion to the state government. Because of this, and that government revenue is forecasted to grow by almost a billion dollars above pre-pandemic levels in this upcoming budget, there's a unique opportunity for Colorado to make bold investments in its future and pay down some debt. Likely, we would hope it includes some of the unfunded liabilities of PARA. We have a great lineup today of individuals who have been focused on PARA for many years. Together, all of these individuals, have also come together to release a joint research paper on the issue to be discussed concerning this podcast. You can find that recent report on our website, commonsenseinstituteco.org. But first and foremost, as I had mentioned previously, I'm joined by CSI board chairman and the Common Sense Digest podcast host, Mr. Earl Wright. Earl was actually instrumental during the last pair reform debates in Colorado in 2018. Senate Bill 200. Welcome, Earl. Kristen, it's great to be with you, even if it's on this side of the mic. I promise I won't ask too tough of questions. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, And our two other guests were also very engaged in the Senate Bill 200 debates and work for organizations focused on improving the long-term health of public pensions and state budgets. First, I'd like to introduce Amy Slothauer, is she serves as the project director for Secure Futures Colorado, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization dedicated to public pension reform. Amy wrote a recent great op-ed piece published by Colorado Politics a few weeks ago that actually was the crux in inspiring this conversation today. Amy, thank you. Welcome for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, And then also I want to introduce Zachary Christensen. He's managing director at the Pension Integrity Project and Senior Analyst for Reason Foundation. The Pension Integrity Project at Reason Foundation offers pro bono consulting to public officials and other stakeholders to help them design and implement pension reforms that improve plan solvency and promote retirement security and have provided technical assistance to over 40 pension reform efforts across the country over the last five years. Sounds like you've been busy. Welcome, Zachary. Thank you very much. So let's dive into it. Amy, I want to start with you. We loosely talk about PARA like everyone knows the inner workings of what PARA is. But for our listeners who might not know a lot of about the topic and what PARA is, can you just give us a little primer? What does it do? How is it funded? So PARA is a pension fund that supports the retirement of workers who are in the public sector. So in Colorado, that includes everybody who works for our public schools the people who work in the judicial system, 
all of our state employees and many of our local government employees. And it has about a half a million members right now. So that includes people who are currently working and paying into the pension fund, as well as those who have already retired and are collecting benefits. And one thing that's important to understand about PARA is that it is intended to replace Social Security. So people who are in PARA are not paying into Social Security and are not eligible to accrue Social Security benefits during the period that they are part of PARA. The fund is primarily funded through contributions from both workers and employers. So employees are currently required to contribute somewhere between 10 and 15% of their annual income to the fund. And employers are required to put about 21 to 23% of their employees' salaries into the fund. So it's a very significant financial burden for both employees and employers. Uh, on top of this, because the fund currently has severe unfunded liabilities, which I think we're going to talk about in a bit, there's also a contribution that's made every year from the state's general fund. This was part of uh, the reforms that were enacted in 2018. So currently the state pays $225 million out of the general fund into PARA. That's a lot of information. And I know we're going to unpack some of it and, and talk to you about the 2018 reforms too. But it sounds like, you know, this isn't the sort of thing that might cause the state too much trouble. But why has it become such a hot issue the last several years? Why are we discussing it today? Well, unfortunately, over about a 20-year period, PARA has gone from a position where it was fully funded, which means that it has enough money in the fund to pay what is projected to be paid out to retirees in the future, to a place where in 2018, when the, these reforms were enacted, the fund had about a $30 billion liability, meaning that they were going to have to pay retirees about $30 billion more than was in the fund. And to put that in perspective, in 2018, the state's entire budget from the general fund was $28 billion. So the, the liabilities in PARA were bigger than the, the entire state budget. This happened for a lot of reasons. Part of it was the state began to offer pretty healthy benefits that at the time it thought it could afford, things like early retirement. Then we also had a historic downturn in 2008. And since then, rates of return in the market haven't been as good as they were in the 80s and 90s. And so the fund hasn't sort of kept up with projections um, that were made during those the early 2000s. So all this together has created a huge liability. And, and why it matters to all of us is that the state is on the hook for this liability. So this fund cannot go bankrupt. And I think morally, we acknowledge that we need to support the retirement of people who really given their lives to public service and have put their faith in the state. So, so it is something that affects every single one of us. So Amy, when you say the state's on the hook, really that means the tax taxpayers are on the hook, right? Absolutely. The taxpayers are on the hook. So, so courts around the country have ruled that public pensions may not go bankrupt. Um, and so when there are huge liabilities that need to be paid, the state, meaning the taxpayers must pay those liabilities. So every taxpayer in Colorado listening to this should be aware of this looming massive debt that Para has. Absolutely. And on top of it, it really affects us today as well because it affects our credit rating. So at one point about two years ago, the state's credit rating um, actually went down because of the size of this liability. So that means the state has to pay more money when it borrows money to do things like build infrastructure. So it really impacts us today and could have significant impact in the future. 
Earl, I'm going to turn it to you now. People might not even know what your day job is, Earl. Could you maybe give our listeners a little glimpse into how, first and foremost, what's your day job and how did you become a para-expert? <laughs> I wish I were a para-expert. I know a little bit about it. I think enough to get me in trouble today, but my day <laughs> job is I'm the president of AMG National uh, Holding, which is a holding company for AMG National Trust. And we manage about $7.3 billion. We're headquartered here in Colorado. And so my day is filled up with uh, activity of the Federal Reserve and the financial markets and uh, the world of finance. So to some extent, I guess that helps me qualify to try to understand what's going on at Para. I think it does right there. You're qualified. (laughs) Okay. Earl, this isn't the first time Para's run into financial difficulties. What sort of problems has it had in the past? How is it different this time? It's interesting because uh, this is something that has materialized in a big way in the in, in the last two decades. Uh, many folks probably don't remember, but uh, before the turn of the century, Pear was actually in good shape. Uh, we had ourselves uh, in such good shape. And a, a little pers- perspective there, you had a a run on the markets that made everybody optimistic for about a 10 or 15 year period of time. There was the, the U.S. financial markets were pretty much, uh, uh, if you wanted to, to hopefully make money, it was put your money in the stock market and go to, go to sleep. And that's pretty much happened with Para too. They did well, they were well managed and they had, had uh, they were funded. Uh, but then we got a little bit too comfortable and uh, turn of the century, uh, we made some changes. Uh, we got rather uh, magnanimous, and we expanded our benefits. Uh, we reconfigured our retirement eligibility, made it more attractive to take early retirement. Well, that's an ab- absolutely actuarial no-no. That, in essence, means you're going to have more of an actuarial assumption for the very people that you have on staff. With that expansion of benefits, with the retirement eligibility being reduced, we did something on top of that, which was even more damaging and that was we created purchase credits. And I must admit, at that period of time, I knew there were people doing purchase credits. I didn't understand what was quite happening. But in effect, people were put, having a chance to, in essence, buy credits into their into the pension fund. So they were, in effect, going to be able to get a larger pension sum by putting some funds into the uh, into the into para. That resulted eventually in twenty five percent increase in benefits those three things alone. And so we, at a a point in time where it was looking like we were in great shape, the market collapsed. We had more benefits that we were counting on. The state said, well, wait, we have to react to that. So we took action in 2004 and 2006 with the uh, amortization uh, programs, a supplemental amortization program, and another one to try to make up for the, the fund deficit that was created that didn't quite. That wasn't quite enough to correct for the the underfunding. We also didn't do anything out of the general fund. Uh, we kind of thought, hey, we can correct this by just a couple of uh, measures like this, and uh, we ended up being way under way underfunded coming out of that period of time. Most of the blame, though, can come from the fact that uh, our contributions were just not enough mm-hmm. from the state, from the employees, and. And uh, we were very generous with our retirees. So turn of the century was a, a boom time, but yet we made some decisions then, Christian, that, that in fact has set, the pro, set in place where we are today. I mean, it sounds like it was really the perfect storm. 
in, in it, all yeah it was and besides that we know we had the 2008-2009 financial crisis that in turn uh, didn't help us with regards to getting our actuarial assumption, which was 7.5%. And we've ended up uh, in a place where the total contribution, and, and Amy already said it, you think about it, 10 to 15% from employee and 21 to 23% from the employee, you're talking about 30 to 38% per employee is one way going into that, uh, that fund. That's, that's an enormous, enormous sum of money going into a uh, defined benefit plan. That really is. So, you know, you worked directly with your involvement through Common Sense Institute, as did Reason and Secure Futures, recently on some reforms, which both Amy Zachary will kind of speak to a little bit later in 2018. What did what did these reforms do? How did they change the financials for the fund? Well, you can't do much other than figure out how to get more money in to the program, and hopefully, you'll get a higher return in the in para. But para in light of the financial markets, in light of where the economy is today, to assume that you can get higher than seven and a quarter, which I believe is the current actuarial assumption, and an overall portfolio is that's that's not likely to occur. It, it could occur, but it's not likely to occur. So what the state did is they said, well, we'll make a two hundred twenty-five dollar, two hundred twenty-five million dollar uh, annual uh, contribution to the fund out of the gen- to Vapera out of the general fund, and they also did some things with regards to. Uh, additional, you know, uh, millions that will come out of the, from employees, uh, what was 25 million per year that would come out of just the employees uh, for the supporting of the fund. But the thing that I think was unique to what we tried to do in Colorado was we said, hey, wait a minute, if our actual amortization is not what we need to have, which in essence means if we're not putting into the fund the annual amount we need to make up for that $30 billion deficit that Amy said that we currently have, if that amortization is less the amount of money annually coming from all the contributors, employees, employers, if that, that doesn't add up to a certain amount of money, then we're going to ask the employer and employee to put more money into the program. In other words, put more money, fund it, so that we can meet this, this what's required. I call those triggers. And those triggers uh, that occurred, we've now twice increased the amount that the employee has to put in, you know, like a half a percent per year in one case, in both cases, actually. And we ended up trying to make up for the lack of annual funds that, are, that we're supposed to be receiving. Um, and I think Amy and uh, Zach, Zach may talk about how some of the proposals are that we're suggesting uh, at the state, particularly with regards to our uh, uh, additional stimulus monies from the pandemic financing that's going on, how we might be able to uh, help the folks out that have had to put in more money uh, recently uh, because of the triggers that I referred to with the stimulus package funds that are available. You know, you know, that's a really good point, Earl. I think the general public, every Coloradan thinks, okay, 30 billion, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. It's not impacting me. You know, that's the employees and employer for that pension or really who has to deal with it. But this impacts taxpayers tremendously. Essentially, taxpayers are the employer. Can you talk a little bit about how this is impacting taxpayers today? Uh, it's just impacting, as I mentioned, the $225 million, that, that's general fund money. And that's monies that, just to put that in perspective, that's similar to what we had in severance tax dollars coming in years ago. So you're 
you're talking about a significant sum of money that could be going for other, uh, how about teacher salaries, if you want to talk about that, or how about additional funding for projects and transportation? We all know we're woefully short there. Roads are a hot topic today, so. They are, and so what in essence is happening is that, and also what a lot of people don't know is the actual dollars that we're putting into education are diluted by like 30 cents in the dollar at a minimum because it's going into para. Wow. And that means that we can't pay as much salary for the teachers. And we're all saying, hey, how do we make certain that we compensate these folks in a way to get the level of excellence that we want in public school education? And not only just schools, that could be in the programs, it could be in any other things like that. So we're siphoning money away from the general good of the public because we've got a, a huge overhang that PARA has us you know, you know, obligated to. I, I want to add just one thing. You might say, well, everybody else has a problem. Well, guess what? Our problem, and I'm sure Zach will talk about it, is a lot worse than 90 or 80% of the other states in the United States with regards to our unfunding and the solving of that particular issue. And if we can resolve this and hopefully solve some of the problem with these additional pandemic stimulus funds, uh, it's going to help the general public out here, but not as much as uh, $225 million, but it'll help. It's good framing for um, the next question, Zachary, which I want to turn to you. You've, you've had so much experience in your role working in different states, too, and helping to pass reform measures, because it is really, it, it's kind of a silent crisis that looms for a lot of states in their budgets. So, I know that you have helped to pass over 50 different pension reform bills across the country. So what do you think? How will Coloradans be impacted by continued problems? And how are other states addressing similar problems? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, um, and Earl and Amy have done a great job at framing the issue for Colorado in particular. Earl talked about how it was basically the, the recession, which really sent Para in a bad direction as far as funding goes. And they really haven't recovered since then. Now, that is basically nationwide. You'll see that pattern in just about every state fund. Most state pensions are still struggling and still trying to recover from the one-two punch of the early 2000s uh, and then, of course, 2008. So, you know, it's something that just about everyone is struggling with. Now, different states are dealing with it differently. Some reacted quicker than others. Utah reacted very quickly after the Great Recession and they're reaping the benefits of that now. Other states took a lot longer. Many states still haven't reacted yet. So, so that makes a big difference as far as how well a state will be able to recover in their pension funding. Uh, there's also just different ways, uh, different types of reforms that they can perform. Some of them, there have been a lot of kick the can down the road type of reforms, which basically make little tweaks here and there, maybe put a little bit more money in, uh, to barely get uh, you know over a hurdle, uh, an actuarial hurdle, to make sure that they're getting to fully funded within 30 years or something like that. So there's a lot of kick the can down the road types of reforms like that. There's also major reforms, which I would classify Colorado's 2018 reform as such, that actually contribute, that uh, dedicate a lot of money to the fund to actually get them to a much better spot and make major structural changes to the plan, meaning as Earl was was highlighting there, the the uh, automatic adjustments to contributions and to colas, uh, or as he was calling them, the triggers, uh, that's a major commitment to the future for Colorado Para and for Colorado's workers that makes sure that 
they will stay on track. What that basically does is makes it so that if there isn't another recession, which seems to be a very likely chance over the next 30 years, the contributions going into para will keep up with that and adjust to it so that, you know, we're committed to make sure we're paying that down within a reasonable amount of time rather than falling, once again, falling behind. Yeah. When you say when there is another recession, I think we're living in one right now, or at least we're, we're going to be entering one. So um, it will be interesting to see what the next several years hold. But I do know from Common Sense Institute's research and our joint project that we did miss the 2020 $225 million payment the state was supposed to make because of the COVID pandemic. So, you know, are we already falling behind? What does that really look like? And I think it dovetails into the next segment of our program today, which is really to talk flash forward to today. Okay, present time. We have all of this stimulus money coming into Colorado from the feds, from the state. Money's going to a lot of different programs. The governor and the state legislators are trying to figure out how to prioritize those funds, those dollars. What do you think, Zachary? Can any of these aid packages give the state some opportunity to relieve para? And what could we do as a state to maybe help some fiscal stability moving forward? There are legal limitations built into some of these relief funds, but speaking generally, absolutely, you know, paying debt down faster means you're reducing long-term costs. It's it's just a basic concept. Uh, and basically, you know, I call that pension debt. Uh, that's kind of a common term in our field, although it does, you know, uh, elicit some groans from from uh, critics. Uh, we basically call it a pension debt or it would technically be called an unfunded liability. It, it, it's not counted as a debt in the ledger, technically. Uh, you won't see that in official reports as counting as a debt, but in just about every way, it, it does act uh, and react just like a debt would. It's something, as Amy mentioned before, it's something that we are on the hook for as taxpayers. It's something that will need to be paid. There's really no way out of that. So uh, it's, you know, it's something that has to be paid. And then since it is a debt, it actually also accrues interest. Uh, And this is a little bit of a complicated concept, but I'll explain it like this. Think of that $30 billion that Colorado is short. uh, There's in the hole in for right now with para annually, if that 30 if that $30 billion were there, we would, we would be accruing interest on that every year as well, which would also say, you know, generate long-term savings. Since that's not there, it's generating long-term costs. So there's te- quite literally an interest building on that $30 billion of debt. So not only do we need to find a way to fill that hole and find $30 billion over time, we also need to find the money that you know is not going to be there because it wasn't there to begin with to invest. So there's debt accruing on all of that as well. So basically, that's all to say that yes, any amount of money you can put in now is good. So <laughs> you know, any amount that? that the state can find is going to help things. But what's that magic number, Zachary? What do you think? How much of this stimulus money would actually go towards helping solve the problem? Um, it'd be a positive ROI for taxpayers. Well, any amount w- is good, but uh, with Colorado's complicated uh, automatic adjustment system, the triggers, there is a particular amount of money that we were able to model out to fund, and we found that that a uh, particular amount will actually be able to bring those triggers back down one. So, as Earl mentioned, we've had two years running since the reform in 2018. And in both years, the trigger, you know, they've triggered those automatic increases in contributions. Our modeling shows that if the state were to dedicate 
hundred million dollars this year into the fund, that would not only prevent any future triggers in the next couple of years from happening, but it would also allow the contributions to come back down one notch. So getting back to where they were in 2019, basically. Uh, so yeah, if they were to dedicate that amount of money into it, employers, employees, so the state in general would see some very near-term savings from that. And that could last over a decade. Yeah, almost a billion dollars in savings. That does sound pretty good. Sounds like a good investment. Amy, it does sound like this is a great idea, but is it legal? Can you walk us through how we can use these stimulus dollars and if they can or can't be paid for pensions? So I think the first thing to clarify is there are really two pools of money that we are talking about. So there's about $4 billion, nearly $4 billion in federal stimulus funds. That's one pool of money. But then also um, the state actually collected much more revenue this year than it had anticipated. So there's about $936 million more in the general fund this year than was projected. So that is also money the state can work with. Now, what has already happened is that out of that 936 million, the state has decided to prepay 380 million of its general fund contribution. So this means the fund, that PARA gets the money sooner. It can start earning interest on it sooner, but it's not really um, additional funds. It's just a prepayment on the, the annual 225 million. I think the concept that we're excited about and that Zachary has modeled out is, is there a way to tap those federal funds to make an additional $500 million contribution, which was is what would allow us to roll back that last ratchet and provide some protection for a couple of years. Now, it seems you probably cannot do that directly from the federal stimulus funds. That's not going to be allowed, but money's fungible. Um, so to the extent that we can find other things that the general fund would be paying for that could be paid out of those stimulus funds, that would free up money from the general fund that could be used for this kind of payment. And, and you're right, it all is fungible. <laughs> so we could definitely figure out how to get this done. Considering all the difficulties that PARA faces, but also the needs of the Colorado economy at large, you know, there's a lot of different priorities on how to get our economy running again, how to get people back to work. Para might not be the best, you know, solution that a lot of legislators are looking at. And Earl, I want to start with you, um, because as a investment banker, as somebody who's been so in tune with the different dynamics in the economy and what we're dealing with with the COVID crisis, is this the best path forward? Is this the best use of $500 million for our state? Well, just as a financial instrument, the answer is yes, uh, because it's giving you a, it's giving you a return a twofold return. You're getting a better than a 7% return on the numbers if I understand what Zach and, and uh, Chris have done. Uh, but if you're looking for a multiplier effect, no. So it's really kind of interesting. The multiplier effect, of course, is how do you get more people to work? Uh, how do you get more people? How do you get more businesses started? So if there were plans to figure out how we could use this money to get more businesses started or back to work or people back to work, that would have a multiplier effect on the economy and Colorado's economy and the growth of its of its revenues. But as far as just a plain investment where you're saying, what's the return on my money versus any bond or any stock out there, it's relatively low risk way uh, to uh, get that 7% return that I, that I just mentioned to you. I don't know what the alternative is. And that's where I think a good discussion would come with regards to 
the community getting involved and where I think Common Sense Institute can get involved is what would a good priority be with regards to getting the highest economic benefit to the state of Colorado? Uh, I don't think we've had that discussion, uh, Christian, and I think that's something that uh, we need to have, uh, I would like to see us have, and some knowledgeable people on economics in the state of Colorado get involved in it. Zachary, how about you? What do you think? I, and to Earl's point, you know, the one thing that I keep coming back to is it really is a no-risk scenario, right? It's Earl said low risk. It's almost no risk. So, Zachary, what are your thoughts? You know, whether the state can spare that or if there's a better way to spend it, that's really a matter of public policy trade-offs. So, you know, there's always trade-offs to, there's a cost-benefit analysis to everything. But I will say this, I mentioned earlier that Colorado's pension debt is accruing interest at a high rate. That rate is 7.25% to be exact. It's their assumed rate of return. That's a very high rate for a debt. So I I would imagine that that puts Para's debt uh, near the top uh, as one of the most expensive debts that the state holds. So I think that should be a pretty good reason to really focus on this particular debt. Great. How about you, Amy? Well, I agree with Earl that it really depends what the alternatives are. So if we see proposals on the table that are really going to create jobs and stimulate the economy, then in some ways, maybe that is a better investment. Call me skeptical, but I worry that what we're going to see is a lot of little pet projects that won't have a great return on investment. So I agree with what's been said. This is a a no-lose scenario to make a significant investment today that will save us money down the road. And for all of you that have been listening up to this point that do want some more information or want the exact numbers and breakdown on the modeling behind that $500 million investment, make sure to check out our website, commonsenseinstituteco.org, where we will have this uh, joint paper that we've been working on with Secure's Future and Reason Foundation that has all of the details. But I wanna thank all of you for joining us today, for your time and insights on this topic. You all are great experts, great voices in our community on this important issue that impacts everybody, not just those that are benefactors of PARA. I hope that everyone listening can come away from this with a better understanding and have the opportunity to maybe engage with some policymakers on what is a good use of those stimulus dollars coming into Colorado. Um, Before we wrap up, are there any final comments that the three of you might want to leave with our listeners? I'll just add that I think this is a very important discussion and that it's wonderful to see people engaging in this topic. And even with the reforms that were passed in 2018, and even if we succeed in getting a big investment today, we still have major structural problems with Paris. So I would encourage everyone to stay informed and engaged on on this issue because we have a long way to go. Thanks, Amy. I think that sums it up great. Really appreciate you joining us, Earl, Zachary, Amy, and look forward to continuing work with you on this important topic. For the latest information on para or other research topics, please visit our website, commonsenseinstituteco.org. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.